Hey, Common Scientists, this is Common Scientist Lauren and Aiden and Dre coming to you this week with the topic of Freud. And if you don't know Freud, you'll get to know him a bit over the time of this podcast. And Aiden will tell you a bit more about his life. But he was a pretty cool dude, wouldn't you guys say? Yeah, he had a lot of a lot of thoughts to say the least. Uh, so Freud, for those of you who don't know, uh, he's the father of psychoanalysis and uh, modern psychology, and he's from Austria originally, and and he but he was born to Jewish parents, and it was around the time of World War II, so he, he emigrated to the UK and lived there until he eventually passed away. Um, but he was a, a neurologist, so a classically trained physician or medical doctor uh, who became more uh, fascinated with the mind and kind of the more, I mean, the psychoanalytic theory and talk therapy and all sorts of other other thoughts that he had. Um, yeah, I'll kick it over to Dre, the, the psychology major from St. Thomas, who's well familiar from with Sigmund Freud. So I'm just, yeah, curious what, what his thoughts are, where he, he'd like to start when it comes to Freud. I first heard of Freud, I believe my junior year of high school, and I was immediately like fascinated, hooked, captivated. He was such, to me, a, a larger than life figure. And I, even though in that psychology course, I think in every like psychology 101 or whatever, they, they spend the, their time like teaching you about Freud and then debunking him and saying like he was kind of a crockpot. But he's also a genius and he's, many call him the father of modern psychology for a reason. Him implementing psychoanalysis, which a lot of people at the time and even today considered pretty unscientific, but the thought in and of itself was really, really groundbreaking. And while he was psychoanalyzing and using talk therapy with people such as what they call hysteria back then, like women who have maybe battled depression or anxiety or a number of things, and also um, World War One and maybe two um, vets, he had something with PTSD. He had a lot of success with that. And he was realizing, making ground, uh, gaining ground on a lot of things that a lot of traditional psychology and doctors specifically were not doing. And now he set the, you know, he's one of those people who like, you can look back at now and say like, oh, that was really silly and that was really wrong and that was really racist and that was really, you know, uh, misogynistic. But his ideas were, like I said, definitely shattered the current mold and really um, paved the way for a lot, a lot of really smart people and a really, really a lot of smart ideas. What are some of your favorite Freud theories? Um, I think, I mean, the subconscious and, um, or unconscious and conscious mind is always one that really comes to mind because that was just something that people, I think, I think we have always kind of had the understanding or like we got, always had that experience that was, but he was really someone who really set it in stone and really explored it through things like dream analysis and talk therapy, et cetera. So that's one that always comes to mind for me that he was really, really important. And, and then also I think 
if you've heard of Freud, one of the things that sticks inside your mind is the id, superego, and ego. That's always really fascinating. I think we should definitely expand on some of those theories. However, first I want to just dive a little into the idea of talk therapy. So this is still something that people don't believe in. Um, this is still something that people will, will say is non-scientific. Have you guys experienced talk therapy before? I have, yeah, personally I have, uh, just a handful of times. Not in a professional setting, but just anecdotally, and I guess unscientifically, yes, talk therapy and like writing therapy as well have really done wonders for some of my anxiety and dread in, the, in everyday life. Yeah, so I have had a lot of experience with talk therapy in a professional or yeah, in a professional setting um, as a patient. And so I, for those listeners who aren't familiar, I'd love to just give you a bit of a picture of what this looks like. Because I think when you think of Freud and when you think of psychoanalysis, you might picture um, going to some familiar odd location um, and laying down on a couch and being asked personal questions about things, right? However, modern day talk therapy, that could probably look like that, and I'm sure it does in places in the world, um, is generally conversation-driven problem-solving for a person's life. And it does not necessarily mean that the person experiencing talk therapy is sick in any way. It does not mean that they're even abnormal. Um, in fact, I often seek out talk therapy when I'm feeling really healthy, but I'm, I'm ready to overcome the next big goal or the next big challenge. And a therapist uh, can be someone who you can work with to accomplish any goals. And so um, just to give you guys a more personal account of what that looks like, I think can be helpful. I don't know, Aiden, if you want to expand at all on your experience with a bit of talk therapy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say that there is definitely, I mean, there's definitely value to it. Um, I mean, Freud had much success with it and, uh, I've personally, I don't know if I've had as much value or like that much value from it because I've only done it a handful of times uh, and I just didn't feel the need to continue. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think to me, to me, there there is somewhat of a difference, but I, to me, I find a lot of that outlet in my community and just whether it be talking to my community or then writing some of my ideas out, like Dre mentioned writing therapy and how that's been super beneficial for his anxiety or whatever right. else might be plaguing you. Um, but just this general theme of, of getting ideas out and trying to solve some of the problems by getting the ideas out, I think is, yeah. is yeah, super valuable. Yeah, that's a helpful context from both of you. I think just setting that stage uh, to know that it can be broad and it doesn't mean anyone is necessarily unhealthy um, can give you just a bit of an idea of what of what we are referencing the term of talk therapy. Now, Freud, though, was an interesting character, as Dre alluded to and Aiden kind of mentioned during his lifetime, he was a little bit 
a little bit crazy, I think, by some standards, maybe by a lot of standards. However, a lot of what he theorized, we still teach today. And because of that, we thought it'd be fun to share some of that theory with you guys. Um, I think we should start out with id ego and super ego. Do you want to talk a bit about that theory, Dre? Uh, sure. So the id, so Freud essentially posited that there were three parts of the mind. The id being the most primitive, and it's a lot of times it's characterized and sometimes caricaturized as like being like the rape, pillage, and destroy. Like it's this desirous, like take anything it can sort of mindset, really hyper animalistic and destructive where it's just like sex. Yes, I'll take it if you don't give it to me. Money. Yes, I'll take it if you don't give it to me. Food. Yes, I'll take it if you don't give it to me. And it's um, really just like bestial. Then there's the ego, which is a is pretty similar to how we think of ego today. Um, not in the sense of like, oh, he has a big ego, but when you think about ego death or thinking about the self and how you portray and how you, the image that you have in, in the world. So the ego is essentially the part of the mind that has to uh, relate and interact with reality and make and kind of keep the it in check so that its needs can be met, but not like by raping, pillaging and destroying. Yeah. <laughs> and then the super ego is like the higher mind as it suggests. And it's like the, where the morals are, all these ideals, um, religious ideals and stuff like that. Yeah. So this, this theory is often picturized um, by the devil and the angel and the mm -hmm. person. So if mm -hmm. you guys have seen that, you have a devil on one shoulder, the devil would most definitely be id. Then you have your angel on your other shoulder, that would most definitely be the super ego. And then yourself, who's trying to negotiate between these two personas um and find some middle ground that is somewhat moral and also somewhat meets your desires one example that comes to mind of this theory is in my family growing up and so another thing we'll do to describe this theory is to personify some and i won't ever forget i came home from college i think my freshman year and my little brother who i think was maybe 10 or 9 at the time said, Lauren, mom and dad have not been making me any baked goods. We have been just deprived. There are no baked goods in the house. You've got to make me a pan of brownies. So I decided I'd make him some brownies. And I woke up early the next morning and I made these fantastic smelling brownies. They baked in the, baked in the oven. I took them out to cool. While they cooled, I went to go, I don't know, pick some things up around the house. And I came back to the house or I came back to the kitchen and Bjorn my younger brother whom I love and hopefully he doesn't hate me for, for telling the story but is butt-ass naked in the kitchen scooping at the very middle of the brownie pan the gooeyest yummiest warm amazing part of the brownie pan and he's definitely acting here on his id right his instinctual desire his little devil he was like oh Lauren made me brownies. I'm going to eat the very middle of the pan and I'm just going to mow this down. Now my mom comes over then and being well, a little self-righteous as mothers can be in situations like this, she decides that she'll cut the rest of the pan equally out so that every single person can get one square. 
that was her her solving of the issue and that kind of is like this this super ego she's like the higher moral self she's gonna come over and solve the problem and create equality now me being pissed at my brother and kind of at my mom for trying to be this perfect thing in the situation decided I was gonna scoop out half of my little brother's brownie into my own bowl so that life was more fair for me and everyone else then got a brownie too so this instance kind of gives you an idea of this tension between these three personas that can exist and according to Freud did exist in every person. Yeah, another another way of of visualizing the uh it ego and superego uh that Freud liked to bring up was this idea of an iceberg and how the mind is only um one seventh above the like surface of the water. Um and that kind of gets back to what Dre was talking about, about the conscious and the unconscious. And Lauren, with that story, it's, I mean, just a hilarious story. Um, but the, the idea that he uh, brings up, especially with the iceberg, is that the id is at the unconscious level. So it's these urges that just come out and you just are, have lost control of them and uh, they'll just come out and have their way. Um, but that's just a, a really funny, funny story. Yeah, that Fuyorn was definitely like, it. yeah, he was like the id incarnate there for sure. <laughs> that was like really colorful. And I was like, he literally looks like the id, <laughs> but naked. He's scooping out the brownies. Like what? In the kitchen. Yeah. I'm sure he just had a fat grin on his face too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, and I tried to get him to put underwear on. I was so pissed about the brownies, about him being naked in the kitchen. Oh, I, I, Bjorn, why don't you have any pants on? You're in the kitchen. Well, this is my house. Like, you don't even live here anymore. You can't tell me to put pants on. Oh, it was, I just need to breathe. Yeah, it was funny. It was really funny. Have you guys found yourself struggle between these personas even today as an adult? Yeah, I think so. Um... Definitely much more so as a child. And obviously, as we get older, our morality develops and hopefully gets stronger. Um, I remember, like, having a strong desire to steal when I was a kid. Um, I don't know how much stronger it was than anybody else's, but I just remember, like, a couple times. I, I definitely, like, stolen, like, Yu-Gi-Oh cards from friends before, like, an action figure and stuff like that. And I remember feeling, like, a lot of remorse about it. And even to this day, I'm kind of like, oh, man why was I like that like why was I that person but that was like I mean that's definitely just like it it's just like you want something you take it and then but I did I always had like this I guess it would be um super ego like this thing I'm weighing on me which is like you know you get from your parents and society that tells you right from wrong but when I was younger my head just went out um not all the time I don't think I was like a (laughs) demon but um just a few times that definitely I think eventually, like, my super ego, just that guilt and shame, eventually over time, I was like, okay, like, I understand this is not good. I feel bad about it, and it's hurting other people. Yeah, and I almost would think as you develop a better sense of self as you get older, too, it's easier to hear those things and then balance them because Mm -hmm. you just, you do have a better sense of self as you age and also a developed frontal cortex, which helps. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Seeing, foreseeing consequences is important. (laughs) Yeah. I was just, uh, 
thinking to right like what you're talking about about the frontal cortex it's pretty um yeah some more modern day neuroscience and evolutionary theory agrees well with sigmund freud uh in that i mean as our human brain involved we had the the hind brain which is uh kind of viewed as the more primitive part and controls a lot of these urges and I think has a lot of parallels to the id, um, whereas the prefrontal cortex, the more executive action, the more like morality that develops that comes with age, mm-hmm. um, would align well with the superego. Yeah, and when you're a over. kid, you literally have an immature prefrontal cortex. Literally, you can measure a difference in the frontal cortex of a child versus the frontal cortex of an adult. And if you don't know what your frontal cortex is, as long as you're not driving, take your hand and put it on your forehead. That is your frontal cortex. Whatever is behind your hand is about the location that you'll find that chunk of the brain that handles a lot of decision making and processing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I was just going to say that's that's great context, Lauren. Um, and the other funny thing about Freud is so he's got some other other theories that uh, all this conversation is reminding me of um, and kids becoming adults and he has his psychosexual stages of development um, that yeah I mean just are kind of where uh, people will have a lot of problems with Freud but um, yeah I'm curious Lauren if you wanted to share a few of those yeah so the general idea of these stages and there are five of them, are that as you get older, you go through periods of time where you have specific fixations on various things. And it goes from an oral stage, like a baby sucking on a bottle, to an anal stage where children are being potty trained, to a phallic stage where the boys are more attached to their moms and vice versa, girls can be more attached to their dads and then latency which is puberty children spend more time away from their parents and then the genital stage which is supposed to be like you're sexually evolved now you're a fully blown human being who has normal genitals etc and freud was unusually fixated with these these potty areas right (laughs) like yeah he uh so one so one other aspect of his theory is that people can get it's funny you use the word fixated they can get like fixated in some of these uh steps along the state the stages of development um and one is the the oral fixation um and then there's another that's like anal retentive uh dre you said you were a little anal retentive do you care to elaborate yeah so if you've ever wondered why someone calls someone so anal it's like yeah it's like this idea anal retentive fixation where i can't remember exactly the details but freud says something happened to you where you weren't allowed to play with your butt or you didn't have proper like learning how to use the bathroom stuff like that um so you became fixated you became stuck and preoccupied on that orifice and those people he said grew up to be like type a personalities where like they're really rigid um like i don't know bossy people who are anal like they can't like really like they're not flexible right if something goes wrong they're just high strung 
people like that. And I think now I'm like, I'm a lot more chill at this age, but as a kid, I definitely wanted things to be black and white. I was wanted things to be rigid. I wanted to know like what to expect. If people like, um, I was really prone to disappointment if people like, you know, whatever, change plans and whatnot. So I definitely would have cho- um, considered myself anal retentive as a kid. And coincidentally, I've also had a weird relationship with like bowel movements in my <laughs> life. Like I just, I don't know, I just have a weird relationship with that. I've always just thought it was, I don't know, absurdly disgusting. And I don't, and if earlier, just like 30 minutes ago, I was eating potatoes and these two are talking about their animals going to the bathroom and I want to throw up <laughs> and I just can't stand thinking, talking about going to poop. <laughs> so. And these fixations can also happen the other way. So Dre talked about being really grossed out by um, anal talk. It can also go the other way. So someone who may be anal retentive or anal fixated might enjoy butt stuff. Might, who knows what. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think Kellogg, like the serial guy, he, I'm sure Freud would have called him anal retentive, but he had an obsession with poop. He used to always, I think his name is John Kellogg, he used to always make his brother like go to the bathroom and he was like, don't flush, and he would check out like his brother's stool and he did all these things and have his brother eat different things. And at that at that point in time in history, I think I think it's called dystensia or something, but like constipation essentially, stomach problems was a huge deal. So he invented brand flakes Kellogg in order to help um, with people passing, going to the bathroom. But Kellogg was super obsessed with poop and he was also like a super like kind of like rigid like my way of the highway type of guy i think he would be classified as an anal person yeah by Freud standards. that's so interesting i think uh that's that's hilarious i didn't know that um i was also thinking so isn't there the opposite of it isn't there like like if somebody's messy and isn't i can't remember the exact terminology it's like or anally I think it might be like anally explosive or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> anal <laughs> retentive versus anal explosive. Uh, look it up. I gotta look it up. You uh, so the other thing, uh, so we talked about all these stages, right? And now we talked about the anal stage a bit and, and getting stuck or being being stuck in this anal stage. You can also be stuck in any mm. of these stages. And one we talk about with the oral stage, um, if you like to be munching something if you smoke um if you chew gum these are all things that might be indicative of someone who's orally fixated yeah i think sucking your lip and sucking your thumb Mm -hmm. as well here it is it's anal expulsive Mm. oh yeah you're close the terminology (laughs) not quite explosive but expulsive um the anal expulsive personality is an opposite of the anal retentive personality and has a lack of self-control being generally messy and careless. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. The Kellogg thing, though, that's super funny. Yeah. A serial literally developed because he wanted to help people everywhere use the bathroom more effectively. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm orally fixated. Is the one is the one that I'm I'm stuck in. Are there any that you identify with, Lauren? Oh, I I don't know. It's probably for the best. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I really li- I really like dangly earrings, and one of my professors in college once, uh, I showed up with 
I don't know, some some dangly earrings, and they were like kind of cylindrical. And she was like, "Oh, Lauren, you must have been feeling phallic today." Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I remember her giving me shit about that. So maybe I am was stuck in the phallic stage or something. But at one point, or yeah. Yeah. Now probably I'm more orally fixated. If I had to guess what Freud might diagnose me as but I think all of us will find tendencies that might relate to one of these things that really have no upholding scientifically Um, and this specific theory has been debated it's been debunked it's been supported throughout history uh, but it's really an interesting theory um, and is still talked about and even tested so for a, a medical college admissions test these are both theories that you would have to know, that you have to be tested on, or that you're tested on. Freud, two of his major contributions and two of the things that he focused on the most, as you may have surmised, but maybe we didn't directly say so far, is that he was uh, really important in showing that who, what happens to you and who you are, your experiences as a child, really shape who you are for the rest of your life to a disproportionate degree. So now we all know we've all heard like childhood trauma that like this may be why you have an attachment disorder or depression or this or that. Um, And Freud was like pretty much the pioneer of that. And then also sexuality, everything that he talked about for most of his life, he maybe he did kind of change a little bit as he got older, but for most of his life and what he got famous for was everything was sexual every single thing had something to do with your genitals or your butt or wanting to kill your father and marry your mom. It was a whole thing. The potty places. I think it's important to note that there are other theories of psychology um, and we're obviously not going to go through all of them, but I think two that contrast Freud's are um, Adlerian psychology which is more focused on striving for superiority or a will to power. And then there is also um, logos therapy or logotherapy, which is more about a will to meaning, whereas like you said, Freud is, is more focused on a will to pleasure. So there are lots of different theories of the best way to have therapy with patients, specifically talk therapy with patients, whether you're focused on finding more power for an individual, more meaning for an individual, or more sexual satisfaction. Yeah, or with with Freud too, he was very focused on this idea of the unconscious and examining people's dreams. So he would do a lot of like dream analysis where people would write down what they would keep dream journals and, and they would talk about that. And he was, again, like you were saying too, with the childhood drama thing, he was very focused on like what in the past shaped you today. Um, but yeah. Some really uh, terrifying and unfortunate things that came from specifically Aiden, things for a trying to use talk therapy to get things out of you from what happened to, to you as a kid for the reason why you are the way you are. Um, so for example, there was like kind of like a witch hunt for for a little while in America after Freud's ideas propagated because it was like they kept using all of these like these sit therapists and stuff. They kept like asking these kids all these questions or these young people all these questions like 
you're this way, so like, what happened? What happened? And what you find out with kids, if you continually ask them, like, something must have happened, like, what happened? The kids will eventually give you what you want to know. And if you don't know, there is such thing as constructive memory where you can either change your memories or just completely make up memories. It's a real thing. So there's this whole thing where all of these teachers and parents and adults and all these people were getting like accused and arrested of like molesting children, abusing children, doing all these really negative things because these usually these children, sometimes young adults, um, had all these certain issues, depression or whatever, and these therapists eventually got out of them that something crazy abusive happened to them. And just to preface and like, you know, like this, that type of stuff does happen, but it's been proven that like this scare was largely blown out of proportion. And I mean, it's just a really terrifying, I um, kind of, what would you call it? Extrapolation. Yeah, extrapolation of what Freud was doing and talking about. So that was a scary part in American history for sure. And it's really, we really still see it today in police investigations, right? Or interrogations, I should say, where we have a lot of these cases of police and law officers and um, like military police and stuff like we're maybe torturing or interrogating um, international criminals or war prisoners, whatever where they like starve them and they kind of do these torture slash pseudo tortures and then they just drill them and they don't let them sleep for days and they drill them and drill them and drill them and especially if you're like a young teenager accused of a crime eventually you confess to something you never did and i'm sure a lot of you guys have seen documentaries on this um etc etc and i mean yeah that's one of the ideas that kind of freud it's not his fault but he kind of put that idea into the American populace. Yeah, that's super, super fascinating that you, I mean, and tragic that you, like, that that happened. Um, yeah, I think that brings up a ton of questions about who is responsible in these sorts of events, um, but to not get too far off that way. Um yeah, I mean, I think that also speaks to this idea of our understanding of the world and, and science and how and the importance of, of asking questions and uh, continuing to be wrong until you're more right. Because um, there was a lot there that Freud stood for that uh, has been immensely uh, popular and influential, but obviously there were some problems um and real problems that needed to be addressed as i think there are especially when we're talking about the mind and trying to either predict or even understand human behavior because generalizing human behavior is really hard right we know that humans can be so intrinsically motivated that it's it is really hard to measure so the whole field of psychology is a challenging place to make big generalizations especially about choice or trauma or history anything really super definitive is just a challenge of psychology and the danger of psychology um depending on how you look at it i think 
Freud's contributions for sure are noteworthy or we wouldn't be talking about them, but I appreciate you bringing that up because it is, I mean, it is always a, a danger. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely a danger. That all being said, I mean, obviously, yeah, he did have immense contributions and the field of psychology is, is important for learning to understand some of those kind of biases and problems of like, constructive memory as you said where people might try to fill in the past and come up with a more complete picture and how that can influence our legal system and and whether people are behind bars or not um is huge so having a better understanding there is super significant are there any other freud theories that that come to mind i'm curious what lauren thinks about it's one of his greatest theories ever penis envy mm. <laughs> or, or, or at least most well known um, um you'd like to elaborate lauren why on don't what... you give our listeners an idea of what penis envy is one of freud's most self-evident most obvious clear-cut <laughs> true <laughs> uh theories is that this is like a really obviously like kind of simplistic version of it is that women and young girls well young girls and they eventually grow up into women who are envious it's just exactly what it says envious of the penis they're envious of the power that represents it's like this phallic monument and that like all these women and girls are like um wishing that they could be like like have a penis and like be men and like in the world <laughs> So, I don't know if I'm the best person to ask this question, but I think for me personally, I cannot speak to women, well, I am a woman, but I can't speak for all women. Uh, I have definitely, while I am super proud to be a woman, let me preface, and I love most of the time who I am as a woman in this world. I think like many women in this world, there are times that I don't love myself and I need to do better at loving myself but there have absolutely been times that I have had penis envy and maybe because of some of my own physiological challenges specific to the vagina um but there for me has been some truth in that because well for many reasons but I mean, yeah, I've had some physiological challenges. I've had some pain associated with having a vagina outside of menstruating, some like medical things that I've had to seek help for. And it would be a lot easier. I also love outdoor activities. I love hiking and camping. And it's a lot more challenging if you're a female to just go pee in the woods or to just like whip it out without exposing yourself, right? Like I can't whip anything out except for my whole butt and my vagina and like squat to not pee on myself. Like there is, and that feels kind of debasing almost sometimes or like men will flaunt it, right? Like they'll just go to the edge of the woods and unzip their whatever and pee. And maybe that's privilege, maybe that's power. Also maybe that's rude. Right, like you could also walk into the woods 20 feet and find a space where I don't have to watch you knowing that you're peeing. Mm -hmm. um, but for reasons like that, I've also struggled with bladder infections. It's something that men very rarely experience. If you are a man who's experienced it, I'm so sorry. It's awful. It's awful. Women, if you've experienced it, many women, most women do in their lifetime. 
it's it sucks um and it's simply because our urethra is much shorter than yours so there are lots of reasons like that that i have felt in moments man it'd be nice to just whip out my dick right now <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but for the most part i am proud to be a woman and don't like envy that of a man when I was younger, maybe there are more moments that I envied it because it did, especially in rural Minnesota, feel like a rite of passage or feel like you did have for sure more power as a man. But since I've moved to a, a more urban location, I felt differently, but I'm also older and more mature. So interesting question, kind of a long-winded answer. Do you guys feel powerful because you have penis? I mean, I think it, like, only to the extent of the, like, kind of perks that it has in terms of being able to go to the, yeah. the bathroom in the woods without sharing my butt. Um, and... <laughs> yeah uh amongst i mean the other it's hard to uncouple that i guess necessarily from just being a man and and having more physical advantages in terms of like strength and um the other thing whatever, that but... comes to mind with like penis what is it called penis envy yep uh is that in the in the physiological act of sex now, this is not true if you engage in anal sex, this changes. But in the physiological act of fornication between a man and a woman where a penis enters a vagina, it's much more invasive as an experience for women. And because of this, I think there is some sense of power that a man possesses that a woman does not in those instances because physiologically she is more penetrated or penetrated at all right because a man does not have to have that experience um yeah unless he chooses to i mean obviously yeah. minus some non-consensual caveats but i think that that's also really real right sex for a female is extremely invasive and does does dictate that there is some penetration and even in that word there is a sense of power and powerless so i think that also plays a role in that theory or idea um but women women we have the power like let me just say like we are so just as strong just we, as good fem feminine we, uh, yeah. to give a to give a another plus to the female category um i thought this was funny uh in some of my research for past episodes i came across nikola tesla's idea that uh queen bees will will run the world in the future so that's <laughs> that's a, a yeah just a positive to women um tesla believes you guys will rule the future so i'm i'm down something. with that yeah. Tesla was, you know, he was a genius. One of one. Uh, yeah, I, we always, I know like penis envy is definitely like a super sensitive topic for people. And obviously Freud, like many great thinkers of the past, and even currently, is victim of 
his circumstance. And at that time, obviously it was a much more male dominated world. And it still is like the patriarchy is, we all like, you know, we've heard about it. Um, especially specifically the white patriarchy and stuff like that. But it's like, even you go back to like the, um, Plato's and the Socrates and they have all these twisted ideas about how like the original soul is a male soul. And then it's like a deformed, like a lesser soul becomes the woman's soul and this and that. So it's like, a lot of these great thinkers had some really, really bad ideas. But with penis envy, it's like, of course, Freud is, I mean, he's probably not equipped to make a theory like that, but he's also speaking and living in the world of a patriarchy. So like Lauren is speaking to, of course, you are going to feel, not because you want a dick or you think men are better, but it's like, because men have used our physical strength to dominate women throughout history. It's like, that's an undeniable fact. And now it's like, you know, like when I go for a walk, sometimes I guess I'm a little bit on edge, like, oh, something could happen to me. But in general, I'm like, I'm a man, like I'll be okay. But the number of women who don't feel safe walking outside alone is unreal. So just for you to be like, oh, if I had a dick or if I was a man, I wouldn't have to feel this. It's like, because of the society that you live in, it's like, of course, it's a natural... Yeah. My best friend and I were just having a conversation about this not long ago, and we were talking about techniques that we use as women to be safe while walking down the street. And we asked Aiden, because he was in the room, um, what techniques he uses. And he was like, what are you talking about? Like, I just walk down the street. I'm just like a six five dude who walks down the street mm-hmm. and we proceeded to explain I mean all of these techniques that we learned from kind of a young age that mostly I think many men are just unaware of right like walking with my keys um so that the the key that's probably the biggest or the most strong is sticking between like my knuckles uh is a frequent thing that I do if I'm ever walking alone or walking home alone if I ever have a bag that I can put over my torso so it's not just over one shoulder but over like my torso um i'll take different routes home if i walk home alone i will like loop past my house around maybe even once or twice if there's someone who's generally if there's a man or someone who's big who's like following me or who's behind me probably they're just walking home too but as a safety precaution i don't want wouldn't want to put myself in a position where they know where i live i mean and the list goes on and on. So my best friend and I, we were talking about this. And yeah, it's not something that I think most men experience. Something I just wonder, I, I, it'd be pretty much impossible to ever figure out. But I wonder how much time is lost like to women thinking about these things. And I mean, the other, like in a similar vein is like birth control and how much time that occupies and mental space that occupies and as well as um we've talked about in in the beauty episode we talked about this idea of being very concerned with your looks um as as it's just i mean i have no idea how you'd quantify it but be wild to see like how much time i mean that is expended a lot yeah a lot in reference yeah. to the beauty episode, yeah, it's like literally self-conscious. Like you're conscious of yourself. You have a mirror in front of you because you know that the world is looking at you as a physical being and like your value for men 
is seen is how pretty do you look today? And it's like, how, like, it takes only so many people can, like, we talked about this earlier today, Lauren, it's like, if I knew that every single person could look at me right now and see, like, how well or how not well I was providing for my wife, I would be very self-conscious about that at all times, and that would take up a lot of my mental capacity, mm-hmm. and kind of finishing up with the penis envy thing and, like, the fear stuff, I want to move out of it, but... I saw a really interesting poll not too long ago. This woman with thousands and thousands of followers did a poll and she said, what would you do if there were no men for a day? And like a ton of girls just said, or women just said, walk down the street safely. And I was like, whoa, like, I didn't know what the answers were going to be, but I was like, I would never like, like what? Like, that's how you feel. You could just be safe walking down the street. Like that's, I mean, yeah. So yeah, we got a lot of changes to make in our society and as men and going forward as a species. Interesting to talk about from like a Freudian perspective. And I appreciate mm-hmm. the questions because I think, yeah, asking questions like that and being willing to have still candid conversations uh, is just important. Agreed. A couple ideas that I've heard recently about Freud actually is that he had these ideas that monumental historical events have like crept into our personalities today and when i heard it the person that was talking about it was like pretty dismissive of it and like kind of uh mocking it a little bit derisive and it was essentially like they brought up two ideas that apparently freud had was the ice age and how that kind of crept into like our personality and they said it in kind of a weird way like into like chilly stoic personalities or something like that and then they said another one was like moses and bringing down the Bible or something, or splitting the sea and something like that. And I was like, hmm. With Freud, I like, again, I think Freud is a genius, but you always have to take it, like, you always have to read between the lines or like look a little bit deep because he's usually like kind of right, but like also kind of really wrong, but there's an insight there. And with that, now with like the modern ideas of epigenetics and we understand that DNA has memory, and that's what instincts are, right? memory like uh, every animal is born knowing how to do certain things so it's like those things that is kind of like for just saying it wrong but it's kind of what he was alluding to is like yeah like there's certain things that can be turned on and turned off and there's certain memories quote unquote that our dna has from thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of years and millions of years of even going back to being like a bacteria and having to fight to survive so that's what that was kind of interesting to me. I was like, oh, those are interesting ideas. You're wrong, but you're kind of <laughs> maybe almost right if we change it a little bit. Super interesting thought. Yeah. yeah. He was an interesting, yeah, I just... crazy, <laughs> whatever better words than interesting. <laughs> he was a dude. He was a bro's bro. He was bro. a thinking bro. <laughs> <laughs> Love, he loved cigars constantly. If you ever look he up his pictures. Said... Snorting cocaine and smoking cigars. Yeah, he loved cocaine. He loved (laughs) cocaine. Um, That was another thing that he promoted to no end. Um, But yeah, um, yeah, I just, I would, I, that's a super fast, I mean, we could go off and talk about that thought forever, um, but just the idea that, yeah, our genes have have memory and um, yeah, I, yeah, Freud was a genius. But also had a lot wrong. <laughs> like Newton. <laughs> like Newton. Uh, I do not. I do not. I'm, I'm by no means endorsing his view of, of cocaine. Freud over Just, Newton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right.
So, man, comic scientists out there, thanks for tuning in this week uh, to hear a bit about the father of modern psychology, this crazy-ass <laughs> cocaine-addicted dude who had a lot to say, had some contributions, and had some wild ideas. If that doesn't if that doesn't push you to ask some questions about the world, I don't know what will. Anyways, guys, we don't have all the answers. We are just out here asking questions and doing our best to be common scientists. See you next week. Freud is kind of like that generation's Kanye a little bit.